Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. I'm preaching today. We're all singing. Speaking, I'm glad to see you today. Thanks for being here. What a joy it is to be this little baby church on Colfax Avenue here in the heart of Denver. Just finished right before service our quarterly Beacon Basics class. It's our membership class for those who feel like this is home. We, we met across the street between the services and um, at the Goosetown Tavern. We had, we had almost 21 people in the room uh, getting ready to call this place their church home. Amen. Last week, we baptized 12 people into the family, amen, and, um, and God continues to grow his church, so I'm grateful, grateful, grateful to be a part of what God is doing here in our city. My name is CB. I get the distinct pleasure of serving here at the church that I call my home, and, um, and I got a couple announcements I want to share with you real quick. Um, I want to make sure, there they are, there they, I want to make fun of them real quick. Uh, maybe you don't know this, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Did y'all know that? And today I want to celebrate our two pastors in the house, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh Derrett and Pastor Ty Morris. Would y'all come up here real quick? Would you guys help me thank God for them? Yay! Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Come on now, let's give them a hand, let's praise them. Let's thank God for who they are and the work that they do here in our house. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glory, glory. Now, we're a small church, which means I only have enough money to give them a gift during the first service. Hmm? You don't get double gifts. You guys can share it. I wanted to take today to celebrate these two men whom I get to call brothers. They bring a wealth of experience in ministry and in life to this church. They serve faithfully, selflessly, in honor and integrity. They lead us into the presence of the Lord and teach the good word. They disciple our families and adults and raise up the youth in this church to find a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. They care for our congregation. They teach, correct, and lead our flock. And they give me an opportunity to feel loved <laughs> and to feel helped in this work of the ministry. And being a pastor is incredibly difficult. But with a church like this and a God like ours, the best is yet to come for them. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Extend your hands to these, our pastors in the house. Let's pray a blessing over them in the coming year. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for these two laborers in your vineyard, shepherds amongst the fold, leaders, giant killers. God, I thank you for their work, their life, and their ministry. And I ask, God, that you'd go before them, that you'd order their steps, that the best would be yet to come, that you would bless them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, that the oil of God would overflow in their life onto their children's children's children's. I rebuke the devourer on their behalf. We proclaim the blood of Jesus. We ask God that you'd go before them, that they would bear much fruit. And all that agreed said amen and amen. Help me thank God one more time for our pastors. Love you, love you, love you. Love you, love you. One more time. Come on, y'all. Come on. It's hard work. They're good, good. We got good ones in the house. We got good, 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 good servants in the house. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I've been having them come over to my house. We've been doing preacher circle. This isn't in the notes, I don't think. No. Um, we've been coming over to my house. We've been doing preacher circle, which is when we preach to each other, and then we tear each other's messages down. Woo! It's hard work, but we get better, and, uh, and, and it's been really fun. Pastor Ty and Pastor Joshua were over on Wednesday, and they were both preaching, and, uh, and I, I usually take notes, like, a, you know, I'm a diligent student, right? And I just closed the notes, and I just listened, and, and Pastor Josh convicted me. Uh, legitimately convicted me in his teaching. It was good. And Pastor Ty had me running around the room like a full-on Pentecostal. God is doing something amongst our, our, our church, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. Amen? 
Hey, let me give you a couple announcements to share with you today, and then we're going to move right into our message in our series in Luke chapter 9. I just have three things to share with you. Where's all my fellas that say, yeah? yeah. Now the 9 a.m. beat you. All the fellas say, yeah. yeah. Men. I'm so excited to announce that the Ash Advance for 2024 is back and registration is open. For those of you who know all about the Advance, you'll be excited to know we have early bird registration open right now and it closes on November 15th. So get your registration in. There's only 30 spots for this Advance. For those fellas here in the room who don't know about this, let me help you understand. Our men's ministry at this church is called Ash. The Bible says that God gives us beauty for ashes. And we believe that we will be raising up men who said if God needs something to burn, that he might pour out beauty to our congregation, to our families, and to our cities, then he can burn me up. We're raising sacrificial men, men who would give their lives for their church, for their family, for their cities, men who would trust the Lord to use them all the way up and to be poured out as a drink offering. The men's ministry at this church is no joke. I'm not here to scratch your back and tell you you're good. God's got work for you, fellas. Amen? And if you ask any fellow who's been on one of our advances, they'll tell you these are life-changing experiences. Now, we call it an advance, not because just that it rhymes with ash advance, but we call it an advance because of this. Most men's ministries do retreats, which implies that fellas are in desperate need of a reprieve from their life. And I don't believe that's the case. I don't want to raise up men and I don't want to co-sign on the idea that men need to get away from their wives or their kids or their calling. Amen. I believe that our wives and our families, that is our retreat. That is our rest. We're raising up men who don't need to run away, but run to the battlefield. So we call it an advance. Amen. We're raising up men who are willing to advance to the kingdom of God, to go forward and to take territory and bring back the spoils of that spiritual war to their family, to their children's children. Amen? And so in years past, we've done silent advances. We've taken men to the mountains, and everybody had to be quiet for three days. And you have never seen men more shell-shocked than when you'd say, hand your phone in and be quiet. They don't know what to do. But this year, we're going to do something a little bit different. Rather than an a silent advance, we're going to do an adventure advance. Amen. Which is, means that you can talk. But here's what we're doing. We're going to the Ponderosa camp in February 15th through the 17th. It's an outdoor adventure camp. And it's in the winter, which means, fellas, we get all the free snow tubing we want. Now, amen. Some of us know what I'm talking about. Because, see, every dude in here who acts like he's grown, you give him a winter snow tubing. Buddy, I'm telling you right now. It's on like Donkey Kong. So it's an adventure advance, which means we're going to be snow tubing. There's a high ropes course. There is a a zip line. There is axe throwing. Come on. I hope I'm hitting one of the nails on you. And here's what got me. They have a thing called the archery tag, which means that every guy is given a bow and an arrow, and you chase other guys and shoot them with it. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but we're all in, bro. All in. And they're like, don't worry, they have foam tips. I was like, take the tips off. Let's do it. (laughs) This is an opportunity for the men in this house to go away, to seek the face of the Lord, to grow together, and to come back and lead our families in integrity. Amen? So, fellas, I want to encourage you to sign up today. Early bird registration ends in one month from today. After that, the price increases, but the price right now at $200 covers all of your food and all of your lodging for the whole week. It's an opportunity for us to grow, and I believe God's doing something mighty amongst our men. Fellas, say amen. Amen. If you're wondering how to get plugged in, everything we do is in the app. Registration for this and other events, to download our sermons, to set a meeting with me, submit a prayer request, join a small group, join a service team, whatever you need, you can do it right in the app. The best way to do it is to download the app by texting the word BEACON to the number 97000. Whatever phone you have, it'll send you back a link, either a perfect app uh, link to the iPhone, Apple Store, or some weird jumbled place to another store. I don't know what that is. But you can download the app right there and it helps you to get connected to our church. Amen? Everything that we do is right there. We try to make it as simple and easy for you. And one of the other things that we do right there is our giving. We believe in being a generous church. And I'm going to level with you because I had a conversation. We had a family meeting with our church a couple weeks ago. And I laid, I laid it out for you. We're, um, we're a working class church. 
We're a church with a lot of new believers and a lot of young people. And that means that um, we don't generate the budget that maybe a church of comparable size would generate. But we're in the heart of the city because we're called to the city, which means that our bills are a lot, of, lot higher than churches of comparable size outside the city. It's a perfect mix to make a pastor stressed out. Come on, somebody. But God is faithful, and he calls his people to be faithful to. And so in just a couple weeks, we're going to launch our year-end giving campaign. We do this every year. It's called Heart for the House. And I want to challenge those of you here today to consider to kickstart that. Our push for the rest of the year is to challenge everyone here who calls Beacon Home to become a tither, which means everyone to give 10% off of their gross income to the church every month. God commands it in the Old Testament. He commands it before the law, during the law, and after the law. Jesus affirms it. It is biblical principle, and I'm not just telling you this because I want your money. I'm telling you this because God said you should do this, and I want to encourage you to be faithful, not just in your living and your loving, but also in your giving. Amen? But also this year we're going to push to try to raise an additional $100,000 above our monthly budget by the end of the year. And so the reason we're doing this is so that we can get ready for the coming year to consider doing something larger in terms of where we meet or what we might do and help us to meet our budget going forward in the new year. And so I'm going to challenge everybody here to be a tither and to prepare to give an additional $1,000 in November and December. Our goal is to raise $100,000, and if everyone does it, we'll meet that very, very quickly. And some of you may be able to give more, and I want to encourage you to do that as well. But mostly what I want to encourage you is to seek the face of the Lord, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want you to hear from God. Step out in faith and believe God at his word to be faithful in your giving and to help this little baby church continue to grow and do impossible things in the city of Denver. Amen? Amen. You should be able to give on the screen behind us by text or by app or on the website, or you can click the QR code, take a picture of that. We also have a box on the way out if you're giving by check or by cash. Everything that you give helps us to continue to do ministry, raise up leaders and disciple families. Let me pray over your gift, and then we'll dive right into the word. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you invite us to be faithful. Now we take it not lightly that you make an invitation for us to be a part of the mission that you're accomplishing here on earth. And now, Father, with all of us who are giving today, I ask that you'd bless that gift, that you'd multiply it. That as it leaves our hand, it never leaves our life, but it goes to advance the kingdom. And for those of us who've never given or struggled to give or worried about giving, I ask that you'd speak loudly to our heart, that you'd soften our heart, that you'd speak. That it wouldn't be the words of man, but it would be words from the throne of God. And an invitation to trust you. Money is not our source. You are our source. God, we give with a willing heart and say, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all ready to jump in the word? Yeah. Okay. If you have your Bible, say amen. Oh, my goodness, really? If you have your Bible, say Amen. Good. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're going to read today Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 22. I'm continuing our series in Luke 9. The series is entitled Seeing Jesus Clearly. And our goal in this series is to work through the ninth chapter of the Lucian Gospel, a synoptic gospel written by the Greek surgeon Luke who writes to a uniquely Gentile audience, and he writes in such a fashion that it's detailed, that it's nuanced, that it paints a picture of Jesus from start to finish for a person who may not have come from the Jewish tradition, who would not have known of the prophecies and the law and the Torah, all meant to reveal the coming Messiah. The Gospel of Luke is written to those of us who maybe never would have known about the Messiah that is to come. And we're in the ninth chapter this fall, as is our custom every fall to study one chapter from the book of Luke. And we're coming to a chapter that finally unveils Jesus telling it like it is and telling his disciples and those around him why he's really here. In fact, today is the kind of crux of our entire series. Today's message is the first time that Jesus reveals himself in truth. And so we're reading in Luke 9, verses 18 through 22. It reads like this. Now, it happened 
that he was praying alone and the disciples who were with him. And he asked them, now, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, well, you're the Christ of God. In verse 21, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The title of our message today, if you're taking notes, the title of this time together is The Confessions. The Confessions is what we're talking about today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this revealed word. We thank you for this appointment that you've given us. God, I ask that you'd remove me from this equation, that you'd speak loudly and clearly to our hearts from your throne. Say what it is that you want to say. We cancel any assignment that would distract us or derail us. We come to you willingly with a spirit of expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a funny confession for you today. Um, my whole life, I always wanted to be on a jury. I don't, I don't know why, but I always wanted to get called for jury duty. As a kid, I used to think jury duty must be the coolest thing ever, which is a weird thing for a teenager to think about, right? I, I, I recognize that now, but I always wanted to be on a jury. I would see like legal shows and there'd be, the jury would file in and then there'd be a foreman. Maybe it's the leader in me. I was like, I can't wait to be a jury foreman. I can't, can't wait. I just always wanted to be a part of the process. Maybe it was because my family worked in, in criminal justice. I, I majored in criminal justice in a, for a little while while I was in college. I loved the legal system and always wanted to be a part of it in some fashion until I got called for jury duty. I don't know if you've ever been called for jury duty, but of all of the unpleasant things in life, that one is pretty high on the list. Now, I have some friends uh, in my life who have a remarkable way of dodging jury duty. Do you know anybody like this? Like, I, I have a friend who, she gets called for jury duty all the time. She's an ex-boss of mine, and she has never been to, I mean, she gets called like once a month, and for the 12 years I've known her, she's never once shown up for jury duty. I don't know how it works, but it's almost as if like they send her a letter and she just sends it right back. She just never has to go. And that didn't work for me. The first time I got called, I got shot out right away. You know, they sometimes just show up and they're like, we don't need you. And then that's that. Second time I got called though, I, I got called into the courtroom. And I remember thinking, oh, here's the show. Yes. I'm going to be the best juror that ever jurred. I got to sit in the back of the courtroom as they gathered a group of 50 of us and slowly selected 12 to sit in the box. Then one by one, they began to ask questions of the 12. And when they deemed them not a fit by either the defense or the prosecution, they would remove them and then select one of us from the 50 in the gallery and replace them. And I watched piece by piece as they went through the selection. Both the defense of family members of the victims behind them. The prosecution who began to glare at the defendant in his seat. And I realized while I was in that jury duty, I didn't want to be in jury duty. This was a case of a murder of a child. It was a heavy case. And they began to ask questions of the jury to uncover answers from the jury to get to the truth of who would be a good fit to be in the jury. If you've ever been in a courtroom, you'll attest to the fact that our judicial system is not the most efficient. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Some of us have been like, I have been to court. Yes. It's supposed to be speedy and efficient, but it's not. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that it's unlikely that anything in a fallen world would be a perfect in its own system. But, but in our world, uh, the judicial system meant to find the truth is a uniquely flawed system. It's meant to ask questions and to find the right answers. They do it through the process of discovery of evidence and the testimony of witnesses. And, and, and the whole process can be incredibly drawn out. And, and yet, there is one thing that makes this whole system go very quick. 
Mosaic. It, it answers every question and it provides every revelation that's necessary to terminate or to end an investigation or a court proceeding. And that is, well, simply put, a confession. I mean, we could go through a months-long court case that could be ended with one simple phrase, I'd like to confess, Your Honor, I'd like to tell the truth. This is, this is one of the most powerful things that happens in any legal proceeding. Now, I'm not naive to think that every confession that's offered through the course of an investigation comes of its own volition. Surely there are cases where they're coerced. But in a legal case or even in your own life. I think we've all come to understand that the moment that someone comes clean, well, the whole process of finding out the truth stops. The investigation ceases and the shift becomes towards reconciliation or restoration. In the court of law, if somebody's under investigation for a crime and then they confess, the investigation stops and now we begin to think about how to restore them through the justice process, how to re restore what's been lost to the victims. And you know this true in your own life. You've been in a relationship and someone's found you out and you've been stubborn enough to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But the moment that you tell the truth, everything changes. Am I right? right. All the fellas are like, bro, stop talking. Fellas, we have a remarkable thing about us is that we're willing to be stubborn all the way to the point of being completely found out without having any room to lie. And still, even then, we'll be like, I, don't, I never met her. It's quiet in the 11 a.m. I see you. Uh-huh. I don't know what it is about human nature, but we are willing to let people find us out and very unwilling to be honest preemptively. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? It's fearful, it's scary, it's dangerous to confess, to tell the truth. Often, because when you finally tell the truth, you're, you're really blissfully unaware about how much burden that lifts off you because mostly what you're thinking about is if I tell the truth, then the truth is out there and I have to reconcile with the truth. One of the reasons that we lie is because we seek to ignore the truth. We seek to avoid the truth. We seek to avoid the consequences of the thing of which we lie about. And when we tell the truth, we can't avoid anything anymore. But we know this in our church, that the truth shall set you free. And that's what we're talking about here in the text today. A beautiful moment, a conversation between Jesus and his disciples where confessions begin to come out. Let me give you this. It's your first teaching point. There is absolute power when you begin to confess truth over your life. Power when you confess truth in a relationship. Power when you confess truth at your job. Power when you confess the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his saving grace over your life. There is power. This Bible tells us that the word never returns void. And so if you speak the word, it has power, it takes effect, it merits and produces much fruit. There is power in your confession. And I am sick and tired of meeting with Christians who are too afraid to talk about the truth in their life. God's called us to speak those things that be not as though they are. The Bible tells us the power of life and death is in our tongue. If I could leave you with one thing is open your mouth in faith and change the world around you. We got too many Christians out here today that are just like, well, I don't want to say anything. I'll just be quiet. Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever know the truth and keep the truth a secret? There's power in your confession. So let's talk about this. We're talking about three things today. Big questions, the right answers, and deep revelation. The process by which this conversation between Jesus and his disciples take place. Let's look at it right away. The first thing I want to talk about is the big question that Jesus asks right here. It says in verse 18, now it happened that Jesus was praying. Now, because we believe that the Lucian gospel, the gospel here written by Luke, is a synoptic or chronological Bible, we can trust and most theologians agree that this instance right here did happen just after, within 18 hours, of the feeding of the 5,000 we learned about last week. This story is in different places in other gospels. For example, the gospel of Matthew has it much later than this miracle. But the Lucian gospel is meant to be clearly a chronological account. So knowing all that, here we find Jesus and his disciples after the miracle of miracles, having fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, 5,000 women, and 10,000 children. And these poor boys, these disciples, feeding them, continually reaching into a basket, a miraculous moment. Moment. 
And then after all of that, Jesus is praying. And the disciples are there. And I like to read the Bible in normal language. And I imagine in my head, it says, now as he was praying, the disciples were with him and he asked them. And I imagine that he said something like this. Hey, fellas. And they said, yeah. And he said, hey, what's the word on the street about me? In your Bible, it says, what do people say that I am? Whom do they call me? But I imagine that Jesus would have spoken in a vernacular that would have been more friendly, more intimate, more relational. And this is what he's asking. Hey, uh, come here. So what are they saying? Now, the beauty of this question is that Jesus doesn't need to know the answer. Jesus knows exactly who he is. Amen. And he knows what they're saying. Amen. But he's engaged in kind of a fun conversation with the disciples. What's cool here is that this is the exact same question that Herod Antipas, the governor of the Judean people in Galilee, asked of his team. Remember, we learned this in the very beginning of this series. When the disciples had gone out by faith under the instruction of Jesus, he sent them out two by two to the region in Galilee, and they began to do these great works, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and casting out demons. And they did it so effectively, word began to spread all the way up to the governor. And the governor asked, who is this Jesus guy? Same question. And Herod's friends, they said, well... Word has it, it's John the Baptist, back from the dead. Some people say it's Elijah. Remember, he's the prophet that didn't die. He was taken in a whirlwind. Some people say it's him. No, no, no. Some say it's one of the other prophets of old coming back. Same question, similar wrong answers. And Jesus asks, he says, he says hey, fellas, <laughs> what's, what's the word? And the disciples are like, well, so some people say, you're John the Baptist, back from the dead. He's like, huh? And, uh, master, rabbi, teacher, some people, some people think you're Elijah. Uh, rabbi, I heard some people say that you were maybe Jeremiah, you might be Isaiah. Some people think you were even Ezekiel with dry bones. That's what they're saying. I don't know, that's what they're saying. Jesus, who's having a conversation with his friends, who doesn't need to know the answers from them, who already knows the answers, but he is engaged in a conversation with his friends, then gets really personal. And he, he after having asked what do people say, he turns in and, and I imagine he leans in and he goes, yeah, but who do you think I am? Oh, if you would read your Bible like your Bible's meant to be read. Some of us read our Bible, we're trying to finish it out. I got to get this devotional done. Who do you think I am? Jesus. Amen. Done. <laughs> oh, if you would get into your text the way your text is meant to work. I want you to put yourself into the situation. Put yourself into the conversation. This is Jesus, whom at this moment has been walking with these 12 men for what we believe to be about 16 months. He's about 16 months in the ministry from whence he called Peter off the boat and said, I will make you a fisher of men all the way to this moment. Now, they've seen him teach. They've seen him preach, they've seen him heal, deliver and cast out, and now they've seen miracles. They've gotten a good taste of who he is. And it's not until 16 months of walking this road together that Jesus finally says, so after all we've been through, Who am I to you? What a question. Oh, would that I could have been there amongst the 12. To have stood in that moment where Jesus was saying, after all we've been through, it's, it's a perfect time to answer the big question you have. Who am I? It, it's the question he asks all of us. What I think I love the most here is that, uh, well, it's Peter who answers. Amen? 
This is one of the only instances in which Peter's tendency to speak before he thinks works out well for him. Now, if you read just this account, it works perfectly. If you read the account in Matthew, he starts off good and then it gets a little wild at the end. But here's Peter, right? Jesus leans in and he says, so let's talk about it. Let's ask the big question. Let's address the elephant in the room. Some of you all call me rabbi and teacher and friend and brother. And and yet, who am I? And Peter, (laughs) I know says, yeah. You're the Christ of God. And it's the right answer. But better than it's just the right words, better than just the right answer, it's been birthed out of right relationship. Here's the thing I need you to understand today. Jesus is continually speaking to us every day, every moment in every day. He's continually having a conversation with you. He's engaged in whispering to you. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you submit to the Lord, the more you let the Holy Spirit do his work within your life, you will get more and more accustomed to his voice. He says, my sheep shall know my voice. Amen. That's why some of the most saved people look the most crazy when they're doing a prayer walk. They're like, I don't want to do it. And that's not the right time. It's because they've gotten accustomed to hearing the voice of the Lord. And I want to challenge you today to understand Jesus is always talking to you, sometimes in command, sometimes in whisper, but oftentimes in question. And he's not looking for you to give the answers. He's engaged in conversation to build intimacy with you. The reason he's talking is because he wants you to get to know him. Not just know the truth about him, but to know the truth that is him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think about it like this. If you have kids, then you know how this works. You'll ask your kids a question that you already know the answer to, and you're pretty frustrated that they have yet to figure out the answer, and still you ask. About every week, we're blessed to have my nieces and nephews come over to our house to hang out with us for several days. It's awesome because our boys are teenagers. They no longer think I'm as cool as I really am. And so having my nieces and nephews come over, I get to regain my status as awesome. Amen. And, and yet, because I'm a pushover, <laughs> I don't have many rules for them. And so sometimes our house is a mess. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have nieces and nephews that you have no boundaries for? You're like, do whatever. We'll buy a new TV. I don't care. But when they make a mess... I do ask questions, like sometimes I'll ask the girls who have their own room in our house. It's the pinkest thing you've ever seen in your whole life. And they will destroy that room. And I will say, girls, and they'll say, yes, Tio, which is awesome. And I'll say, is your room clean? Now, I know the room is a mess. And I don't need to know the answer from them. I could just clean up the room for them, right? I'm kind of like that. I'm a bit of a pushover. I'll just walk in there and tidy it all up. And my wife will be like, how's the room? I'm like, they're so good. They cleaned it up. It's perfect. (laughs) I could do it for them. Amen. Or I could say, girls, get over here. You got to be kidding me. I bought this house. This is my house. I'm the owner of this house and you're destroying this house. Now fix it. I could scold them. I could pour out wrath or I could just do it for them. But I don't do either. Do you know what I do? I ask questions because I'm more interested in the relationship that we have rather than I am in the room that is dirty. So I'm asking questions for us to engage and Jesus is working the same way in your life. Hear me. He could fix your problems like... He could also come down in all glory and be like, you must be kidding me. How many times do you keep messing this up? I died on the cross and you keep doing this? You're so weird. But he doesn't either. He says, hey, do you you think hanging out with those people helps you and me grow in relationship? Hey, do do you think that talking like you talk is a good reflection of me? Is that really the person I have for you? He could fix the problems or he could scold you because of your problems, but he engages with you so he can build intimacy with you in the midst of your problems. Y'all with me? 
And so I'm trying to encourage you to hear the voice of the Lord on an ongoing basis and not just say, fix it. He's like, I can. I'm not interested in fixing it. I just want to hang out. Can I tell you this? Sometimes Jesus just wants to hang out with you. And you're like, I'm a mess. He's like, no, it's fantastic. What are we doing later? And you're like, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, I do. Jesus is interested in you. He loves you. He wants to walk with you. The Holy Spirit is present within you to have communion with you. That is why God is three in one, so that in you is God. Y'all with me? And Peter answers a wonderful question with a powerful answer. And it's the right answer, but it's birthed out of right relationship where there's always been Jesus' goal. And so let's talk about not just big questions, but also right answers. And here's the right answer, which is this. Jesus has an identity. Y'all with me? He He is a person and he existed and still exists. And his first name is not Jesus. And his last name is not Christ. And his middle initial is not H. I know that one for sure. (laughs) You ever heard that phrase before? Jesus, H, Christ. When I was a kid, I used to hear that and be like, H, what's that? (laughs) I had asked somebody at my church, and someone at my church, and you can Google this today, it's still believed to be the answer to this question. Jesus, H, Christ, it is thought to be, falsely, that his middle name is Harold. Look it up. Search up what does the H in Jesus says Christ mean, and it will say Harold. It will say Harold. Real websites, actual people will type this and be like, nope, definitely Harold, which is not wrong, not right. It's total heresy. Amen? But I still kind of love it. <laughs> I still kind of think it's awesome that my God's name, middle name might be Harry. I just think that's fantastic. Anyway, that's not the point. Here's the deal. Jesus had a name and an identity. His name, Jesus, is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua which is the same name as Joshua from the Old Testament. Both, same name, Joshua, a type and shadow of the Yeshua to come. And the name means God saves or salvation. Now you will hear people say all the time, well, Jesus never said he was God. Hello, he walked into every room and said, salvation is here. Now, I don't know if you have any confident friends, but that's some bold statements right there. Amen? He minced no words. His name meant salvation. His other name, Emmanuel, God with us. And when he asks, when salvation asks, when Yeshua leans in to his disciples and says, yeah, but who, who am I to you? Who am I to you? Peter says, well, You're the Christ of God. This word in the Greek, the Christos, it means the anointed, the chosen, the promised, the Messiah. The name Christos means anointed, promised, chosen Messiah. And those, those, though those be variations on the way in which the word is interpreted throughout the text, there is one constant. It is always in the definitive article, the. He is the chosen. He is the anointed, the promised, the Messiah. He's not maybe. He's not kinda. He's not ah. He is the only one promised to come, and he has come and will come again. So when Peter says you're the Christ, he's not just saying you're like really important. He's like, You're the, the one we've been waiting for. I wish I could tell you that Peter would have said it with boldness. You're the Christ of God. But having reconciled with the idea that he was standing before God himself in the flesh, I assure you this moment was not lost on Peter. This was a powerful, life-changing, and no hyperbole, this was a world-changing moment. Now hear me, up until this point, this had never happened. They had not gotten to this place. Jesus had not asked this question and Peter had not answered this question. But when he answered this question, he was confessing truth. Truth that he could not take back. Truth that he had to reconcile with. Truth that meant that who he was before he spoke this is different than who he will be forevermore. And that's the beauty of the confession of Jesus Christ. Is that once we call upon his name, once we call him as Lord, once we call him as Savior, he is faithful and just and graceful that who we were no longer 
longer has weight. We are all together made new because of the power of the name of Jesus Christ. That's the beauty. Peter didn't have to say, you're the Christ, and then do a bunch of things. He said, you're the Christ, you're God, you're mine, you're Lord. And in so doing, his declaration demonstrates a relationship between him and Jesus that opens the door for Jesus to produce a confession of his own. We have just like 10 minutes left. Oh, Lord. So let me show you this confession. In verse 21, after Jesus asks and Peter answers, you're you're the one. It says that Jesus strictly charged and commanded them, the disciples, to tell this to no one. Which seems like an interesting response, but once you hear what he has to say next, you'll understand while he was essentially saying, you're exactly right, Peter, but for the moment, this is just for us. He says, yes, tell no one. Verse 22, for the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he must be killed. And on the third day, he will be raised. Now, I need you to understand that right here in this moment, right after Peter's confession, having known that Peter now fully understands who Jesus is on Jesus's terms, Jesus is comfortable and ready to begin to confess on his own, to begin to reveal who he really is to these 12 disciples. And he says in this moment, you need to understand, you're right, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king, I came to take away the sins of the world, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, and it's about to get wild, it's about to get really tough, you should know that the Son of Man came, and I will suffer, and I will be betrayed, and I will die, and then I will be raised again. And that's why, just for a moment, I need you to keep this right here. So beautifully, Jesus is teaching on the spiritual gift of discretion. A gift (laughs) that many of us are in dire need of. Can I tell you this? Jesus is speaking to you right now, ready? And his sheep know his voice, amen? And yet not everything he says to you is meant to be repeated out loud. You say, well, wait a minute. He set me free and he said, I'm God. I'm going to tell everybody he's God. Yes, no, actually, that's great. But he told you, hey, this place you're in isn't the right place. You need to have discretion to know that that right now, right in this moment, that's a word for you and him. And he's calling you to listen, maybe to take action, but mostly just Just listen. One of the worst things that I see many of us struggle with is that the moment God talks, we just start talking out loud. You walk into work on a Monday. I was in church yesterday and he said, this place is beneath me. (laughs) And your boss is like, does that mean you quit? And you're like, I didn't hear that part yet. Hold on, take it back. We are talking oftentimes too quickly. And I want to challenge you in your maturation as a believer to understand that God is always speaking and some of what he's saying is just for you. Here's an example. Be still. Sometimes he's just talking to you. You said, that's for my neighbor. No, baby, that's for you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is an intimate Revelatory conversation between God and you. He's saying to you in this moment, just, just, just relax. I'm talking to you. Don't worry about being a minister or helping everyone else for just a moment. This is for us. Taste, drink, eat of me. Discretion is a gift and a skill that every Christian needs to walk in so we know when to say what the Lord wants us to say. A lot of us have given a lot of advice and it's terrible advice. Some of the worst advice I've ever heard is in the church. <laughs> Amen. You just tell it to them like it is. Don't tell it to them like it is. Be nice. He says to them in this moment, I need you to understand, uh, you're right. I'm the Messiah. Things are about to get interesting. And this is the first time in the entire ministry 
all four gospel accounts, that Jesus uses the exact words of the process of his ministry goal and misery process. He's using a clear descriptive. He's saying, okay, I finally see that we're close enough for me to reveal myself to you. And so here's what it's going to look like. The chief priests and scribes who set up the law that prophesies about me, they're going to betray me. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And I will come back to life. And these 12 boys, fishermen, who have had just 16 months walking with Jesus, are now finally trusted enough to be tasked with understanding this truth. Can you imagine for a moment being like, it's the Messiah. And then he's like, and it's going to get terrible. Can you imagine what that felt like? And while it's the first time he used the specific words, it's not the first time he began to hint at it. You see, in John chapter 1, Jesus calls himself the Lamb of God. I mean, these are Jewish boys. They would have known that a lamb used in religious services, a lamb of God would have been used as sacrifice to atone for sin. And they missed it. Later in Matthew, it's in chapter 12, he refers to himself as Jonah. These boys all would have known the story of Jonah, not just as good Jewish boys, but also the fact that they worked on the sea. They would have known about big fish. That would have been a tale that they told over and over again. He refers to himself as Jonah, thereby saying, I will die for three days and come back to life. It's not like he made it a big secret. He was hinting at it all the time, and still they missed it. And so in this moment, when he reveals this big truth, when the deep revelation of whom he really is and what he really came to do comes to the disciples, it would have felt big, but it would not have been so far off. Here's the thing. Most of you are waiting for a word from God. Woo, here we go. It's going to come like this. Most of us are saying, Lord, I just need a word. Just tell me the truth. Just give me a word I can operate. And I want to tell you today, he's been like, I've pretty much been saying this word over and over again. I'm going to just lay it out to you. He's already told you everything you need to know. You're like, just tell me the word and I'll dump him. He's like, for real, I've been telling you to dump him for like, what else do I got to say? Just say the word and I'll trust you and write the book. He's like, who, who do you think gave you the desire for the book? Just say the word, pastor, and I'll go into full-time ministry. He's like, where do you think the burning in your heart came from? I've been saying it over and over. I've been hinting. I've been typing and shadowing. I've been revealing myself slowly, but surely, surely I don't have to spell it out for you. Are you listening to him? We all want the word. Just tell me what to do. And he's like, uh. I've been talking every day of your life. You don't need more words. You just need more trust. You just, you just need to believe me when I tell you, it, tell you it's time. I'm not going to send another messenger. Amen? This isn't in, we didn't do this in the nine. I just sensed it in the 11. Some of y'all are waiting. Whew, we're done. This is where it's going to end. Some of y'all are waiting for a word. God's going to say something right now. This is unique to the 11. Some of you have already told him, just give me the word. I just, I just need to know. I, just, I have to hear from you. If this is the right relationship, that's here in the room. Some of you, you you've said, it, I, just, I just need to, to know if this is the right decision. Some of you are asking about a career path. You're asking about a financial decision. You're asking for your kids. And I'm telling you right now, you, you already know. He's already spoken. He's not going to give you more. He said, I, I said it. Just believe it. Now, here's the thing, and I'll leave you with this, because that, that word is just here in the room, and that's for us today. You don't need another thing, but here's what I want to push you. Jesus begins to reveal more of his mission to the disciples in this moment, not because they're special. Ooh, hear me now. We think that people that have divine revelation, you make the mistake when you come to church and you're like, I hear this, Pastor, I just wish I knew the Bible like you. I, I don't know the Bible because I'm fancy. God doesn't deliver special download to me. Anyone in the church anywhere ever tells you that they have a unique line to God? 
or they have special revelatory powers, if they say something like, I just see things in the text that you might not see, you must run from them. There's no such thing as special revelation. Hear me, this is a good old-fashioned teaching to get in your belly. The revelation to these 12 does not come because they're unique or smart or chosen. It comes because they're in ongoing, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. You want to know how to read the Bible better? Read the Bible. Isn't that such a simple instruction? Don't you worship was better? No, here's the book. Here's the book. People are like, do you have any books that will help me read the Bible? How can, I, how can I get more of God? Lean in more to God. There, there's, there's no special class of Christians. They get more from God. His love is freely given to you and to me in spite of our flaws, in spite of our failings. And the only plan is this. Just lean in. Begin with a confession of who God is to you. Jesus, you're the Lord. You're my Messiah. And when he asks you questions, just start answering. And when you open the text, just start reading. I don't understand it. I didn't either. Just keep reading. Read it again. Read it again. How do I study the Bible? Read the same sentence 15 times until you know it and know what it means. But how long will that take? Hopefully your whole life. Oh. Oh, if you would. Oh, if you just knew how much he wanted to be with you. And it all starts with a confession. You're the Messiah. And you're my Messiah. You want more from him? Put him right where he belongs in your life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for the chosen of God, the Messiah. I thank you that you sent him, that he died, and that he rose again. Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to endure the cross and despise the shame for me. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that it's you in this room who is urging me to lean deeper into Jesus. We confess today that you are Lord, Master, and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's worship a little more. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, Please remember to be the light. Let's go!